Hello and welcome to The Spirit and Show. My name is Matthew Godloff and I'm here with Louis Dignam. We sat down with Father Cormac Grabolicon, Paddy Dundon and Dennis Kennedy and asked them about the time they spent abroad in countries such as Kenya, Brazil and Nigeria working as Spiritans. First up is our interview with Father Grabolicon. Here it is. So we are delighted to have with us the one and only Father Cormac Grabolicon. So Father Grabolicon, it's great to see you. How are you keeping? Pretty well, Matthew, pretty well. Yeah. Still alive, but uh, despite everything. That's good to hear. <laughs> That's great to hear. Well, anyway, firstly, tell us about how your journey with the Spirit and started. My journey with the Spirit and started at the age of seven, actually, when I um, uh, was on the uh, final year of the Ho- Holy Communion up in Sion Hill. <laughs> we had first uh, form and uh, junior infant, our senior infant was up there. Second form in Willow Park, and then we came through right Black Rock, through Black Rock College up to sixth year, and uh, then moved into the novitiate of the Holy Ghost Fathers, and then um, went abroad uh, for three years to the West Indies, then back to Black Rock College uh, to Kimmit again, and then um, went off to Kenya for uh, 14 years, and then back to the alma mater back home again to the rock. Uh, well, tell us about your time in Kimmage. How, how many years or months did you spend there? Uh, in Kimmage, <clears throat> I had, um, well, one in, 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 in before it in, in Kilchan, down in Tipperary, that's what they call an officiate. Then there was three years, I went to university, three years, did uh, psychology and, and uh, philosophy. And then I went three years to, I left Kimmage for three years and uh, three years in the West Indies, and then four years again in Black, in, back in Kimmage again doing uh, postgrad theology. Yeah, we, we were in there in the first year, it's a nice place. Uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about what the Spiritans do across the world and what their tasks are? Yeah, well, it's very hard to, to actually say because different different countries and different Spiritans do different things. I think the basic thing is to spread the good news of Jesus to all people, but particularly to the poor and abandoned and those who are in significant trouble. Yeah. So, for example, uh, we have parishes in, in uh, shanty towns. We have all sorts of things where we go to the very poor and uh, try and help them uh, to realise who they are and what the message of Jesus really, which is that you are valuable in your own right and the fact that you have no money uh, that is, is, doesn't make you any less people, you're great people. And then we try and help them economically and we also try and help them as far as we can. We try and transform the situation and then we build hospitals and, uh, well, sorry, we, we, we get people to build hospitals, which we become chaplains too. And then we also have built churches uh, so that the people can come together and meet together and understand one another and share, not really among themselves, but then they'd also share going outwards. But, of course, we built multiple schools because we, we, knew, we know in Ireland now we've got so many schools, but... Back in the 60s, 1860, there were very few secondary schools in Ireland. When you go to Kenya, practically no primary schools. So we built uh, 
dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of primary schools all over the place so that people could learn how to read and write and get use their gifts. And now we have a... We, we can leave it. We've left it now, Kenya, and there's multiple schools all over the place. Not as many as that there needs to be, but there are multiple schools. That's why some of the brightest, smartest people who've been to places like some of them, Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard and Amherst. The president of the Kenya was in Amherst. Yeah, I, I was researching and President Kenyatta is a president now and he came through one of your schools. That's, that's, Mary, right. that's right, yeah. I asked, who was his headmaster? <laughs> oh, really? That's fascinating. Do you know, uh, I also read about Mark Obama. Obama? Yeah. Mark Obama, oh yeah, sure. I bought him a piano, actually, so he could learn how to play the piano. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he thought he'd learned already, but he was so good. Oh, I yeah. felt the school needed a piano good enough for him. And so we bought a school for the pia- uh, piano for the school. And then he became extraordinarily good at that. But listen, he was a genius anyway. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, he studied in his own. He learned on his own at lunchtime break. It was a long lunchtime break in Kenya because of the weather. He learned Latin and Greek on his own, uh, which is just uh, amazing. Yeah. He could sight read Mozart about the age of 13 on the piano, run up and down, absolutely no problem whatsoever. He gave a concert in the, in the um, British consulate there when, when he came back from uh, Brown University. He went to Brown University initially. And then what written on the programme was, of course, music is only a sideline for him. He's won a scholarship. He's finished his master's in Brown. He's won a scholarship for, uh, I think it was nuclear physics, uh, into uh, Stanford University. He's now in China doing hieroglyphics. That's fascinating. So um, um, you mentioned uh, the school earlier. Would you mind uh, telling us a bit more about St. Mary's in Nairobi? Sure. Well, St. Mary's was founded in uh, 1939. Uh, I'll tell you what the situation was. It, it sounds outrageous. We had founded so many, many, many schools for, for the, those who had nothing. And then we found that all the leaders, or the future leaders of the country, were going to uh, other schools. And we felt we might as well have a school for the leaders of the country. So uh, that's what we did. And we opened St. Mary's precisely for that. And so um, we had another school that's called, called Mangu. And they also, the, the, the president after, um, the third president of the uh, country uh, was from that school. The present president of the country is from St. Mary's. But when the president, the president, uh, the first president of Kenya sent his children, which is Kenyatta, three of his children but then the uh, vice president this guy called Mwai Kebaki he sent his children and then when they had sent their children and then the others they were like hold on uh, the MPs then oh, they all started sending their children and then the heads of departments also sending their children so before you know where we were we were full and we were just full of these guys and, uh, and then they've gone all over the world to universities forever uh, and now they're back and we are hoping that they will spread the good news because uh, they got a lot and they know that. And um, we brought them to the shanty towns and showed them what, what life was really like. 
for the poor, and they 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 picked they thought they pick it all up, went on retreats up to the up to the uh, the lakes, and we discussed all these issues around bonfires and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, they picked up what the good message is about that everybody is very important, everybody, the sick and the lonely and the miserable and those who have no food. I've happily been able to send um, the present president uh, a letter or two and telling him, now look, do not forget the poor. Uh, that's a fantastic legacy. But uh, mm. when you were going over to those countries, uh, what were you expecting to experience? And was there anything different, like when you were there? Was it different to what you thought it would be like? Uh, probably not, in a way. Uh, let me explain. When I was finished, uh, as I told you in Cambridge, the philosophy, uh, my degree in philosophy, um, I went to Trinidad. Trinidad is a third world country then. And I knew what shanty towns were like because they had them over there. And I knew what a school, one of our schools was like. We have a magnificent school over there called St Mary's as well, which was founded from here. Now, the shanty towns were there, the poor were there, there was a place called Laventille, full of poor people. Uh, and when I went to Kenya, it's a big city like, like uh, Port of Spain. Well, I didn't, uh, well, I, I, it's, the difference, of course, is immense. Um, if I can tell you the difference between the two of them, uh, I think uh, 113 times, or 111 times, Kenya's 111 times bigger than Trinidad. Yeah, that's much bigger. But, yeah, it was much the same. I went out to a parish house in the back of nowhere. And when I say back of nowhere... Um, there was very little in the parish except people who were, I think, 100,000 in our parish. They didn't have a football pit, so one would put up things and say, look, you can have a football field here, let's have a football pit. So they put up a football pit. They didn't, the girls didn't have anything, so the sisters were very good at, 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 at making clothes. So we said, why not start a business for making clothes and get that? So they started a business for making clothes. Then when we went back to St Mary's, we, we had operas every year, so what we did was we got them to make all the, all the costumes. And so it all... But, yeah, it wasn't really much different in a way. The people, of course, in Africa are absolutely lovely. And so the ones in Trinidad are too. A bit different, but I, I, I loved both of them. But the people in Africa are amazing people. It, within themselves, I think they're very happy people. Even the very poor are very happy people very good people. What they really need is, is, is people to show them how, not merely to, in your own tribe or example, you don't kind of fight against another group, you hopefully have peace. There is a certain amount of intertribal rivalry, as it always is. That's good. So is it also true that um, you built a church and a kilometre of water pipes as well? Um, well, no, hold on. Uh, when we say the boys here in Rock went out, we went out of the group in Rock and yeah. we put down water pipe. I don't know how long it was, but yeah, very long. And we began a church. We set the foundations and started it. They put up the the walls and then we finished it off, and finished it off and, and blessed it and that gave the place a church. But these are guys from Black Rock who did that. Yeah. 18 went out each year for three years, yeah. 
we did that. That was that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. How important is this work in today's world? And what can we do as young people to to keep the spirit and tradition alive? Um. Well, I think the first important thing for you guys is to um, get all your gifts and perfect your gifts. That's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to perfect your own gifts and become the person you can become, if you know what I mean. In other words, if you are an artist, become a great artist. If you're very good at business, become really good at business. But your, 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 your life should be to make sure, I think, which is our, 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 our aim, that the poor and abandoned and the refugees and everybody should realise that they are important and that we should push people to make sure that everybody is treated with respect, love and uh, reach out with caring and kindness, R-O-C-K. <laughs> That's what it is. But, but it is very important that you um, get qualified and then you become dedicated to what you're doing to help others. But there's no point in helping others if you're not properly qualified, not in this world. You know, over in Africa now, there are marvellous lawyers, there are marvellous doctors, marvellous everything. That's all came from nowhere. But it, that, there are now marvellous people over there. So what do we do? We go out and try and help people to help others, particularly the poor and abandoned. So that's what you really do. Yeah. And it's, there are people in Ireland to say, as you know, I, I'm sure you've, I don't know if you've ever been up to um, Mosny. Oh, where is that? <laughs> I think it's in uh, Mead, County Mead. County Mead. Oh. And all sorts of refugees are up there, not doing too well. And in fact, you may not know, but in various places in Ireland, there are people, you know, all, particularly this COVID situation, disastrous. They're all in, 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 in say, our corridor down there, there'll be three or four in a room. Chaos. Yeah. And who's allowing that? We are. Should we do something about it? Most definitely. Can you do much about it when you're 80? No. Yeah. Can Gadoloff do anything about it, do you think? Well, what about Dignam? I would think so. Definitely. Yeah, we'll try our best. You've got the brains, you've got the capability, but I would say make sure that you perfect your gifts first. Become what you are, are made to be. In other words, you don't start, you know, I would say this though, do begin to learn how to pray, do begin to learn how the Lord looks after you, do begin to learn to be close to Him, and then that will grow and grow and grow, and after a while you realize, my goodness. I want to spread this around because it's great. That's a very strong message. It's a, it's a good message to, to spread and kind of that people know of. Um, I might actually just go uh, slightly off topic here uh, for this next question. Ryan Tuberty um, says that you were the first person to put a microphone in front of him. Uh, do you remember that occasion? Vaguely, uh, it, it was that down in Willow Park, probably. He was also, we also made him um, MC, as far as I know, of the uh, Le Mans concert. Yeah. So he was, well, he was very, very good. He was good in Willow Park as well. He just you know, stood up and was able to talk. But to listen to me, before, before, we, before we put a microphone in his mouth, 
He, at the age of 11, was down in RTE, uh, evaluating books on, on, in RTE. That's bad. Amazing. An amazing, amazing person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. That was a great interview, yeah. I thought. It was so fascinating listening to your story, and we could have been here for hours hearing about your extraordinary life and as a missionary and as a spirit. So thanks so much. Really. Thank you for being here. And uh, look after yourselves, if possible, in this great COVID time. Please look after yourselves. You too. We wouldn't like it to get COVID. Thank you. Thanks Alrighty. Thank you. Now on to the first half of our interview with Father Paddy Dundon. So, Father Paddy, you attended Blackham College in the 1950s. Yes. Did you know then that you wanted to become a spiritual mis- missionary after you left school? Well, I went to Willow Park in 1944. I was seven years of age. And then in 1954, I did the leaving here. And your question, when did I know? I was did you know that you wanted to become a spirit missionary after you left school? After I left school, or I suppose, you see, we're in a different time than at the moment. Oh, I know all you people, you have to have points and you have to have CAO and you have to decide very early what subjects you're going to do. For us, uh, there, there were not, 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 nothing like that. Uh, and most people decided what they were going to do when they were in sixth year. And there was no points. There were some people in my class did architecture, some of them did accountancy, there's a doctor. Uh, and then a, a, number, a number went on to be priests, uh, two in the diocese and I think six spiritans. And when did I know that I wanted to be a priest? When did the boys know that they wanted to be an architect? When did they want to know? I think we decided kind of later. I would say for myself, I made my decision after Christmas. It was getting near the end. and I, that, But I would imagine that all along it was niggling away at me. You see, it, it was a missionary school. And some of the priests here had been on the missions and they came back. And there was one particular priest. And from time to time he'd get a bout of malaria. And he wouldn't turn up for class. But we all, we forgave him, we, we knew he had been on the missions. And, and then we'd always get uh, talks if there was missionaries home from the missions. I remember one, uh, Bishop Ambrose Kelly gave us a talk. He was from Sierra Leone. And then Bishop Michael Maloney, who was a past student from here, uh, and a great rugby player as well, uh, he gave us a talk. And we had a talk in sixth year from a father, Mellet, who spent his whole life uh, 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 in Nigeria. So the atmosphere was there. The atmosphere was there. And I, I decided after Christmas that I, that I would try it, yeah. I was speaking to one of the priests here, I, talking to him about it, and then the, the priest in charge of what we call our novitiate, our spiritual year, he gave a retreat to sixth year. And... Uh, the idea was, like, he was in charge of the spiritual year, that if you were going to go on, you'd go down and you'd have a chat with him. And I remember distinctly, we were in the castle, we were all boarders in the castle, and he was just, when you come in the hall door of the castle, and there's a room on your left, and he was there for the afternoon. And uh, after lunch, when nobody was around looking, 
I came down the steps to go into him and I, I was going down and I went back up again and I did that twice and then on the third time I went in and I said to him and he took my name and everything, he was very kind and he said now you go and do your leaving and when you do the leaving contact me then and, uh, and I remember the morning the leaving came and I knew then I'd already decided it. So, so yeah. When did you ask me? When did I decide? Yeah. I, I, I suppose in sixth year after Christmas. Yeah. That was a long time ago, you know. Yeah. And but but it was a time of great idealism. There was one of my friends. He's still a friend of mine, and he was thinking of becoming a priest. And then for some reason or other, he decided not to, and he decided to become a doctor. And his 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 reason, he said, if I can't. Uh, cure souls and cure bodies. It was a time of great idealism. Like, I, I kind of fear nowadays, like, when I look around and I say, how many past students in Blackrock are go on for politics to change our society, our world? I can remember Rory O'Hanlon and Rory Quinn. And I don't remember any others at the moment. Nobody going into politics, don't is there, where's the idealism? Uh, and uh, I was horrified when I came back from the missions and I asked that question. Uh, why don't some of our boys go on for politics? Uh, and I was, they said, well, actually, uh, other professions are more lucrative. And I, I was horrified like that. Where is the idealism? When you leave school, are you, are you going to help to change the world? And when you die and you leave us, will the world be a better place because you lived? Those are the kind of ideals in our thing. Yeah. I don't know if I've answered your question for you. No, you answered it pretty well. I strayed away a little bit from you. Well, we all know that you went to Brazil in 1963, and, you un- and we understand that you undertook a 22-long day boat journey to reach the country. Uh, that must have been some experience. Can you fill us in? Well, again, I was a kind of an innocent abroad. Nowadays, again, it, it is so different. I mean, I know you, people go to Spain and they go to Poland and they go to all other places. The first time I left Ireland was when I was going, going to Brazil. The first time I left Ireland, the first time I was on a ship was when I was going, going, going to Brazil. It was a huge adventure. And uh, we didn't, there was no going by plane in, in, in 63. We, we shipped out, we left Tilbury in London, and then the, the, the ship, it was a passenger ship. It, it was very comfortable, and uh, there were three of us. Three of us ordained that year we were going to Brazil. We called into Cherbourg in France, and then we went into the north of Spain. I think it was El Farol or, or Vigo, it was where General Franco was born. And then we went down along the coast uh, and stopped at Lisbon. And we arrived there on, on, a, on a Thursday night and, and wasn't, weren't going to sail until the Monday morning. So that was Friday, Saturday. And, and so the three of us, somehow or other, we got up to Fatima uh, in, in Portugal and, and prayed there and asked Our Lady to bless us on our mission as we were going out. And then when we were up there, we were, will we ever get back in time to get uh, uh, the ship? And we met some English priests that were on a pilgrimage and they drove us back and down to the ship. And then then we, we sailed out there, we visited the Canary Islands and then across, across the Atlantic. But it was a great adventure. It was an adventure more than anything else. And, and I remember probably the lonely, one of the loneliest days in my life was <coughs> we, we arrived in Rio de Janeiro. 
and some priests met us there and the other two uh, priests disembarked there they were going to start there and then I went back on the ship and sailed on by myself down to Santos, the state of San Paulo, by myself. Uh, that was when the isolation hit me. That was when the isolation hit me, yeah. So that was a period of real unrest in Brazil. There was a coup d'etat in 1964. Were you aware of the dangers that were present in the country at the time when you were well, again, you see, you got to think of the time that we were in. World War II was just over. The Cold War was on. The big enemy was communism. There was a Cardinal Mincenti from Hungary who was in jail and he was tortured and drugged. And a Cardinal um, Stefanak, Yugoslavia, now now Croatia. And and they were in jail. So the the big enemy was communism. And and, uh, I think just a year before we went, or two years, 1960, Fidel Castro walked into Cuba and uh, revolution was there and then one of his cohorts Che Guevara uh, he came down into Latin America Bolivia and he was going around forming cells so the big danger of communism and I have to admit I went in with that mentality kind of you know save the place from communism and then I was in my first parish in a rural area a big coffee growing area uh, a small population in a small town and suddenly I, I saw that uh, 200 young men 200 young men and their families came to us for a blessing they were going the 600 kilometers down to the, the big city of São Paulo they had to leave because the man in charge of the fazenda uh, or the farm which was a coffee farm and there were new laws coming in to protect the workers that have to work so many hours or that have to have such a living wage and uh, this was looked on as the beginning of communism. So this big farmer and many others, they pulled up their coffee bushes because um, coffee is, is a labour intensive. You know, the people have to pick, you'll see it on the ads, uh, picking the coffee and that. They pulled up the coffee bushes and put in cattle. And where you need a need hundred people maybe to, to the farm, five people could look after the cattle. And, and that began to change my mind like that. You know, sure, communism a big danger, but this concentration of wealth on the, on the very wealthy, there was something very wrong in it. And uh, then, then I, was, I was there, I, I arrived there in October 63, and um, the 31st of March 1964, there was a revolution. The military took over, uh, and uh, there was a clampdown on student meetings, trade unions, uh, newspapers were censored. Actually, in our churches, our, our, our sermons were recorded for the military, and it was a tense time, a very tense time. And um, yeah, yeah, it was only gradually, though, that we saw like the danger. Sure, there could be communism, but but the other danger was that the poor people were being trodden on, mm. and we were being. And you see, one of the problems, like we were here in Black Rock, and I suppose we, our families were fairly well to do. We weren't rich or anything. Uh, I was in the Vincent de Paul, so we had, if you like, touched the poor. But did we did we really know the pain of the poor, 
until I got to Brazil. I think you get a better chance than we do because you have placements and you go out to the different places and maybe meet Father Peter McVeary or some of the others and, and you get a feel. Yeah, they say, you know, that with this, you, you can't understand until you stand under. Yeah, you have to stay here and see how it hurts, yeah. see it, how it hurts. Yeah. Join us same time tomorrow to hear more about Father Paddy Dundon's time in Brazil as well as an interview with Father Dennis Kennedy and his time in Nigeria.